The kids were really young, so I decided to take some time off uh, to finish the move. And, uh, and then during that time, the revolution happened, so there was, there was no point going yeah. back. And then I start asking Jalal to, to, to work with him, and then he would say no, 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 and I kept nagging, nagging, nagging. And I was like too, too afraid of bringing her into the business, but you know, when, when the ship started sinking, I thought this was the perfect time to come on board. Hi everyone, and welcome to What I Did Next, a new podcast series from ANT Media. I'm Malak Fuad, your host. On this show, we'll be talking to inspirational guests about those moments in life when you're faced with a choice and have to decide which way to go. Do you choose the well-worn, sure route, or do you jump off the deep end and hope it will all work out? Our guests have all confronted this dilemma and we discuss how it changed the trajectory of their lives. My guests on the show today are the husband and wife team behind Gourmet Egypt, a premium food retail company established in 2006. Jalala Bouhazela serves as the company's CEO, while Dalia Sultan is business development director. It's fair to say that Gourmet has changed the landscape of supermarkets in Egypt, with a fastidious attention to detail that has set the benchmark for all other food retail outlets. Our talk meandered down multiple paths to get to the essence of how the couple think about life surprises and how those surprises make you change direction. You'll hear about how they blend the work and the personal, which is not an easy feat in any situation. I realized during our talk that Jalal has always been a risk taker with a hankering for adventure. He crisscrossed the globe before settling down in Egypt. He's also always been an entrepreneur across different industries. On the other hand, Dalia's career arc is rooted in finance, having studied economics and political science at Cairo University. Before getting into all of that, we'll start with one of the icebreaker questions we love on the show. I asked the couple for a movie, a book, or a piece of music that inspires them. And here's Jalal's choice. I really love Freddie Mercury. So you've got a movie and you've got so music I've, there. I've, you've got, got, I've got the movie and the music, yeah. you know. And I've seen the movie three times. And, you know, if I got to watch it another time, I would I'd be very happy to, to see it again. Yeah, he was a larger-than-life character. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. It was an amazing life story Absolutely. and uh, very entertaining. Absolutely. What about a book, Jalal? See, I'm getting boring now because uh, I think the last 20 years since I got into business, I've been reading uh, a lot of business books and, you know, I just get little bits of wisdom out of each book. Do you find that your ability to read has, or at least read longer books, has gone down? I mean, everyone's attention span seems to be shrinking with social media and reading small chunks of news and so on. Well, I think one of the things I want to do um, once I'm able to start winding down a bit is, is get back to reading because I, I really enjoyed reading books. Um, but I've kind of missed out on that, you know, with all the pressures of... Uh, you know, of work and family and stuff. So the, the book reading was one of the things that, uh, you know, that, 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 that I miss now. Yeah. And has there been any business manual or any businessman who's written a book that you've, uh, that you've read and found uh, useful or helpful? Uh, I read a lot over, over the years. And, and uh, honestly, it's like little bits and pieces of, 
you know, from everywhere. One thing I've learned is that you never stop learning and listening to people and reading books and getting different ideas helps form a, a better picture. Of course. What about you, Dalia? Anna, the thing that relaxes me or that I'd love to have more time to listen to is uh, I used to sit with my dad a lot. You know, he had this big sensory, uh, what do you call Mixer it? Mixer type. Uh, uh, and we would always listen to Shahrazad and uh, Aida and you know, love the march of Aida and stuff like that. Yeah. That just classically yeah, relaxed. Yeah, very uh, powerful music. I love that yeah, kind of music. Yeah. Um, Books, uh, again, like Jalal, I unfortunately haven't really been reading that much, although I love reading. Um, I know what I want to read. I, I, I want to read a lot about Sufism, for example. Yeah, there's a lot mm, that I yeah. want to, but you can't really say one book because That's right. you're made up of the, the, the hundreds of books Absolutely. that you've read along the of years. Of course. Same for the movies, really. It's, it, I, there's no way I yeah. could tell you one movie. Yeah. For me, I love, for example, if, if it came on TV, I would never tire of watching it. It's like the Godfather trilogy. Yeah, of you course. You know, that's on TV very regularly, and it just feels, it never feels old to me. Yes. So I always watch that, and there's always, like, nuggets of wisdom you can grab from it, you know? It reminds me of when I was in Kuwait, when it got invaded, and, you know, on the third day of the invasion... I was staying with some friends and we got uh, arrested and charged with uh, being resistance fighters and spies. And oh, I, really? And I thought, okay, now this is the end. Now what would James Bond do in a situation <laughs> like this? <laughs> He'd press the ejector button. <laughs> you, know, and, you know, but luckily, luckily we were able to, to convince them that... How you were very young then. Yeah, I, w I would have been about 20, uh, 20 early 20s right. and... You know, it was, I was a bit taken by surprise. Of course. You know, I'd never been in a situation like that. Yeah. So that, that leads us quite swiftly into your, um, your sort of journey. Well, yeah, I grew up in Kuwait. And then while I was um, uh, uh, at university, I went to university in Texas at Austin. Um, my parents moved to Greece. And so when I graduated, they, they, they were living in Greece. And I moved to Greece after... Uh, graduation and I started a small business uh, uh, between Greece and Kuwait so it was it was like my first uh, you know your first start, entrepreneurial start venture business. yeah and that lasted what was that what kind of well, business? well it started off uh, I was exporting Greek marble and ceramic tiles uh, to Kuwait and um, uh, and that led to something a bit bizarre I was selling uh, street sweepers made by a company called FMC Corporation That's in uh, California. And uh, I became a, a dealer for street sweepers, and that went really well until the invasion of Kuwait. And then after that, uh, I went back to... Uh, my parents were living in Greece, yeah. and I went to Greece to figure out what, what I'm going to do next. And I was lucky enough to get an immigration visa to go to Australia. And I started the next chapter of my life Uh, in Australia. And did you think when you moved to Australia that you were emigrating and that would be it and you'd you'd begin your life there? Oh, absolutely. That was like, uh, that was the plan. Um, and just before I left, I got a job offer in Nicaragua. Wow. From a, a friend of mine from university. He, uh, he said they had a great opportunity in uh, Nicaragua. And I thought, well, you know, I've got no money. And that's probably the place to go and make a fortune. But... Uh, I only stayed there for about six weeks uh, because, uh, you know, it was uh, extremely unstable and there were uh, a lot of uh, incidents that 
we're not very comfortable. It's fascinating how adventurous you are. You were and still are, actually, and, and, and quite fearless. You know? Well, you know, I mean, you get opportunities, and, um, uh, but they mean nothing if you, don't, if you don't grab them, and you shouldn't be afraid of failure. So I've never, I've never been afraid of grabbing an opportunity. You know, uh, what, what if it doesn't work out? Yeah. I mean... Um, it might not work out, but it, it definitely won't work out if you don't try. Absolutely. When we were setting up uh, today's interview, um, I, I had said to Dahlia that one of the inspirations for this podcast was Steve Jobs' commencement address to Stanford in 2005. Yeah, yeah I love that speech. Failure. I mean, that speech is, you know, it's so, it's so short and so spot on and so true in everything that, that, that I've done. I could, I could, I could never have imagined that we could have built a retail business like Gourmet when I was just starting it or even before. If somebody told me you'd be a, you know, a famous retailer in Egypt, I, it was never part of the plan. It's amazing how, first of all, that one thing leads to another and we're on a path thinking this is it, like your immigration to, to Australia and you're envisaging that your life will be there and you're planning your future there. And then suddenly, things change and you, you're on another path. So explain to us a little bit how that happened. It was a bit complicated because the middle of the, in the middle of the 90s, um, I was in Australia. I had a, I had a business that was, um, you know, that was growing and, and, and doing really well, exporting uh, meat from uh, Australia, mainly to the Middle East, but pretty much all around the world. And then... Uh, uh, my parents moved to Egypt, and on one of my visits to, to Egypt, I decided, I was sitting with my uncle and my, and my father, and we, we thought of, you know, why not set up a business here? And, you know, I, I, need, uh, I wanted a customer to sell my meat to, and so we started a, a small business uh, uh, with my uncle's connections and my father's money and, and my meat, and... And it went really quite badly in the beginning. We lost uh, most of the money my father... And you were still based in Sydney and I was, at the time? Yeah, and I was still based in Sydney. So you were going back and forth. I was going back and forth. And, and, um, and everything sort of happened at the same time because then I met Dahlia. She was working at EFG with my sister and my sister had invited her for lunch and my mom fell in love with her. <laughs> and then my mom, after lunch, she's like, are you going to call her? I was like, no, I don't even have her number. And my mom says, look, I've got her number. I was like, how do you have her number? She says, well, I heard her speaking on the phone and she was telling it to someone and I memorized it. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And then uh, I met Dahlia and we, in a very short period of time, I told her, come on, let's get married. And, you know, I come with an Australian passport. <laughs> I can bring this to the marriage. But, you know, I didn't marry you for that. Well, uh, that was Dahlia, give us your take on, on, uh, on the it's, courtship. It's exactly the same, but uh, the, the, the only... The only different points was that he thought I was going to move with him to Australia and I thought he was going to stay here. Well, that was a shock because, <laughs> you know, I told her, you know, the business here was going very badly. You know, I thought, okay, like there's maybe better opportunities in Australia. Let's go. And, and she said, what do you mean? I thought, well, you know, I live in Australia. She's like, oh no, but I thought, I thought you were going to live here. I was like, I never said I was going to live here. And, you know, and then she's like, okay, but I need time. And I said, well, how much time do you need? And she said, I need 10 months. I said, what would you need 10 months for? 
And she said to sort my stuff out. So I told her, okay, look, let's get a pencil and a paper and let's write down a list of your stuff. Maybe I can help you do it, you faster. know, do it faster. Yeah. <laughs> And then her response to that was, if you pressure me, I'm not going. And that was 20 years ago. And so w this was before you got married. No, no, after. This it was, was just after. after. Oh, this was just you after. You haven't discussed this before No, I mean, it was like, you know, I mean, you know, we brought up the subject, but yeah. it was never like, yeah. you know, like, let's decide yeah. now or, you know, like, I mean, it was, I sort of took it for granted. Yeah. Well, I must say, I'm glad for our sakes that you decided to stay in Egypt. Wow. <laughs> so, Delia, you were with EFG then, at that time, and you stayed with them for a bit longer after that, right? Yes, and way before that. And way before that. So how long were you with EFG for? Uh, 10, 11 years. I, economics and political science from Cairo University. And then after that, I started working at CIB. And I had a great job. I was really happy. You know, the credit department, it was the most sought-after job. And then I got a scholarship to do my uh, master's in England. Where were you in England? In uh, University of East Anglia, Norwich. And uh, so I wasn't sure if I should go, if I should stay. And I kept asking everybody. I went to the chairman of the bank at the time and he was like, don't be crazy. Of course, you have the best job. Everybody wants your job. Stay. It's ridiculous if you go. What po what's the point in doing a master's? You're, you're, you're going to learn here. You're going to take the credit course. And then I went to my mom and I told her that I'm um, thinking of not going. And she's like, are you crazy? You're going to do a master's in economics. If you were telling me I'm going to do a, a course in dancing, I would have st still told you, you have to go. Yeah, it's amazing how, I mean, that's kind of like a pivot point also for you in yes. a way. Because you could have stayed and carried on in your role. Yes, and at the time, nobody went abroad to study in Egypt. We, we, everybody studied here. So. And how was that experience for you? No, it was great. It was such an eye-opener and such a great experience. And, and what was your master's in? Uh, development economics. So I, I got to learn about other countries, what they're doing in their development stages. A brief pause from our conversation to go to the show's other staple question that I love asking my guests. If they could invite five people to a dinner party, who would they be? I find this question to be particularly insightful as it tells me a lot about what they're interested in and often who they look up to. But in Jalal's case, though, it all seems to come back to one man. I'd like to invite Freddie Mercury and the Pope. What a combination. Pope Francis. Oh, Pope Francis Pope in particular. Francis. On, only Pope Francis. Only Pope Francis. Not, wouldn't invite any of the other And Pope. why him? I think he's a really nice guy and he's very... Uh, open-minded and down-to-earth and he seems like a lot of fun and you know probably have have some good laughs together how do you think he'd react with freddie mercury i think he'd be great the conversation would be amazing i think it would be f spectacular who else would you add gee well we've got the pope we've got freddie mercury if you want you can do it as a duo if you want to add Delia, Delia, what do you think who would you add since we're going to host it together you're going to host it together <laughs> yeah we're going to host it together so you're going to be there I think I would like to invite my my grandfather, my father for sure, um, my my grandmother. Uh, these people were so progressive, and like you know, most of the furniture we're sitting here uh, on uh, belong belonged to my grandmother. She used to have a a weekly, uh, once a month, every Tuesday, the first Tuesday of the month, they would have a 
uh, sitting together and they would sing and exchange ideas and she would play the piano and somebody else would play other instruments and was this amongst family or would they invite people from outside friends and family and just this is in Egypt yes in what the 40s or 50s yeah I think we were more progressive then than we are now and that's what I love yeah I'd love to be in one of her, of her of, of her sittings and and have her over and And the things I hear about my grandfather, how progressive he was. You didn't know him? No, unfortunately, I didn't. But I'd, I'd love to have them over. So. How many people are we allowed to have for dinner? You can invite whoever you want. <laughs> well, you know, now that we're It's thinking your dinner. About, <laughs> about, you know, like my grandfather was a movie uh, yeah. producer. Was he? And he died when I was quite young and I never got to know him very well. Um, so, you know, with Freddie Mercury and the Pope, I think he... He'd mix in really well. I mean, so far, your choices have been very artistic. And your grandmother, Delia, you're saying, was very into music and singing. And and I guess there's one there's one guy, I mean, it's sort of out of the blue. Um, you know, when I immigrated to Australia, there was a, you know, I was, uh, doing, a, I was doing a deal that went sour. And uh, I needed to uh, cold call on one of the biggest tycoons in Australia. And he... Uh, And, and he responded to my call and looked after me like as if he was my uncle. Amazing. He's passed away now, but... What was his name? His name was Kevin Kirby. I'd, I'd probably want to invite him. Amazing. He, he seemed like a really, really funny guy. Wow. Well, that's a nice combo. Yeah. I think that having the Pope in there adds a, a very interesting dimension. Yeah, and we're lucky we've got gourmet so we could put on a good menu. Absolutely. You, you, know. wouldn't, you wouldn't starve. Yeah, yeah. You know, I went when he was in uh, in Cairo. Oh, really? Yeah, I went to the stadium and, and it was it was the most amazing. It must have been very moving. It, I, I think everybody uh, just uh, cried when he came in. And he it was so emotional. Yeah, he definitely has a very nice presence about him. He does. A bit like uh, John Paul, two before him. Similar. Well, much more. But much more humble. Yeah, much, yeah, much. Yeah. And also progressive. Much more progressive. Tell us a little bit about how gourmet began. So I know that the you were uh, exporting meat from Australia to Egypt. That's how it started. But then you developed it more in Egypt. You were working with hotels. Well, Just that's one of that more. was one of the amazing points in my life because at the time we were importing meat and it was very difficult to find customers that wanted to buy you know the, the really high quality expensive meat we were selling. Until one day I was accidentally in a, in a party I, um, uh, in, in Guna and um, I was just standing around w- on my own and then this Irishman comes up to me and says, hi, I'm John. And I said, hi, I'm Jalal, you know, and we started chatting and so what do you do? And he said, well, you know, I'm, um, I'm the general manager of the Four Seasons and we're opening our first hotel in Egypt. And I told him, you know, about what I do. And he said, well, would you like to supply us? And I said, I mean, of course, that would be like a dream come true. And he explained to me that, you know, when they go into a new market, they interview all, all the potential suppliers, and then they pick the one that they think is the best fit. Uh, so for the, for, the, uh, for the flowers, they picked uh, Malak Tahir and Flower Power and... You know, um, and, and, and and that was a big thing and, in her and, in and, her business. You know, and that was like a huge thing. And she's, you know, um, and so they did the same, the, the same with us. They chose my company to be their supplier. And shortly after 
we started supplying them. I started supplying all the other major hotels that paved the way for, you know, like the high-end luxury uh, meat segment. And then the idea of gourmet came up when my friends would come over um, and, and I'd have a barbecue for them. They, they, they just simply wanted to, uh, uh, to buy the meat that uh, I was serving at home. And I told them, no, you can't. You know, you can only buy it at the Four Seasons or the equivalent. And, and that's where the idea of gourmet started. And, and when it started, it was, it was really just selling the products that I buy for the hotels. I, I wasn't even thinking of shops. I was just thinking of... I remember you know, it was a delivery service at the beginning. It was just a You deli- had a brochure with all the cuts yeah, of yeah, meat. Yeah, it, was, it, it just started very, very, very uh, modest beginnings. And, and after we got started... I thought to myself that if we had a shop, it would really grow much faster because, um, you know, the home delivery and you can't see what you're going to get had limitations. And then we opened the first shop and, you know, uh, and at the time it was really uh, only luxury imported high-end products. So uh, it was really, you know... um, you had to be reasonably wealthy to to be able to shop at Gourmet. I remember that period. That was before the revolution of 2011. And then after the revolution, obviously with the devaluation uh, of the pound, and, and you, from what I, as a consumer, of, as a customer of Gourmet, I noticed a massive shift. You began to uh, sell local products. And then after a while, you began to create your own line of food, which is a huge success, I think, now. In Cairo, in Egypt. Yeah, well, I, that, that was, you know, it was a roller coaster ride because we opened the first shop in 2008 and then we felt we needed a second shop, which opened in 2010. Then six months later, there was a revolution. And then after the revolution, the second shop, which was a huge investment for us. And then that shop did not perform and became a financial drain until the Zamalek shop was offered and uh, and we didn't have the money to you know, to do it, but um, my uncle, um, uh, God bless him, he was the, uh, the CFO at the time, and he said, you can't afford not to do it. And he said, I'll get you a loan, I'll get you a bank loan so that you can do it, because if you don't do it, you won't be able to save the business. And uh, we, we got that loan, and, and Zamalek really saved the business. But then after we opened Zamalek, then, you know, we had another revolution, and then... Um, uh, we were lucky enough to uh, get uh, an investor on board because retail retail is a really cash-draining business. And because I didn't have the experience in retail, I underestimated uh, the amount of cash that we needed. And then, of course, with all these like revolutions and um, disruptions in the in you know in the economy and the changing rules of importation. Uh, it became really, really difficult. And I guess the, the, the point where everything, you know, at a certain point, the ship was sinking around 2015. Okay, and what was the, why? What well, changed Well, the, ship, at was, that the point? ship was sinking because importation became very difficult and, you know, we were running out of cash and our competitors saw our success and they had more cash than us. And, and so there were no barriers. And, and they began to emulate and the, you. There were no barriers to importation. And, you know, and, and, and for a long time, Dahlia, Dahlia had, you know, wanted to, um, 
to work with me, and I was like too too afraid of bringing her into the business. But you know, when when the ship started sinking, I thought this was the perfect time to come on board. All hands on deck. Yeah, I said like you yeah. know, come on, Dalia, let's uh, yeah. you know jump on board. Yeah. You know, welcome. I had left EFG, and then I worked with Belton. And then, uh, and then there was a time where I was moving to 6th of October and the kids were really young. So I decided to take some time off uh, to finish the move. And, uh, and then during that time, the revolution happened. And of course, the, the uh, stock market collapsed. And uh, so there, yeah. was, there was no point going yeah. back. Yeah. And then I start asking Jalal to, 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 to work involved. with him. And then you would say, no, 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 no. And I kept nagging, pushing nagging, nagging. But you had ideas that you, you wanted to, to implement at, at, the, yes. at the business, in the yes. business? Yes, we were thinking, all that time we were thinking, why are we importing all this food when we can make lovely food here? We have great produce and we ha- there's everything. Absolutely. Why do we have to import uh, all, all our food like that? And, um, and, and, and that's what we kept thinking of all the time. And uh, so, yeah, so I jumped aboard to do that. So now you're, um, you have a very large, uh, ready to heat and eat meal product line. Um, is that your number one sort of selling area now in the, in the business? Um, yes, it's a big percentage of our of our business right now, and it's it's the one we all love most and we're most proud of. Um, it's uh, uh, you know the fact that it's all made in Egypt and that it's the best quality. And then we insist on quality at at the factory. We analyze all all the supplies that come in, all the ingredients. We you know the way we wash and sterilize our vegetables and 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 the hygiene and the and and the level of commitment as well from the people and the chefs and the color it's just a, a really buzzing and happy and of course with the with the new local line of products you um you've probably reached a much larger clientele in Egypt at a much more comfortable price point as well for a lot of a lot of for customers. sure and we've solved a, a lot of problems for people i mean a lot of people i have a lot especially young uh, couples now that get married and they're both working and you know they don't have cooks so they all come to me and and they tell me you saved our marriage <laughs> because it's it's, it's, it's quality it's quality and it's easy and it's easy yeah. and it's accessible Absolutely. and you know for a fact that it doesn't have anything bad for you no preservatives yeah. no yeah. Not, no additives, it's all fresh ingredients and it's all things that I am very, very, very comfortable feeding my own children. At one point we were selling really just ingredients um, for people to cook with and uh, today uh, we're addressing uh, food moments. So, um, Tell us about that, you know, what do you so mean food, by that? What I mean by food moments is, you know, when you're, when you're hungry, you're always going to find something at Gourmet. So when people ask me, Um, you know, who who our competitors are, I say, actually, whenever you're hungry, you have have a choice to make. You can go to a restaurant, you can order food delivered, uh, you can order food ready, or you can make something. And Gourmet actually offers you all of those, all of the above. Yeah, yeah, you can, you know, so... And tell me for you, Jalal, if you were to uh, think of a pivot moment for you in the business... Would you say it was that time when your your, inve- your investor came in and you were able to grow the business in terms of uh, outlets? I think I think it's a combination of things, and you know, I think 
that um, uh, our, our first investor uh, came with an industrial kitchen and and it wasn't part of it wasn't part of the plan but you know we were lucky enough that that it was there but that on its own is not enough you know so the um, uh, what we did with it and the, the 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 incredible work that was put into it by you know by the whole team um, that delivered the result that customers were happy with that was the reason for the success. So you can have an idea, but if you don't execute it well, um, uh, you know it, it. It makes no difference. So that was very important. The the investor that came in uh, in 2018 uh, was also very important because uh, you need to have the right financial structure to be able to afford to do all 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 the things that you need to do and to pay your suppliers on time and. You know, and and have money for expansion. Mm -hmm. uh, so everything sort of like came together. And how many outlets do you currently have? Now we've got fifteen stores and three delivery hubs. And uh, it's clearly that it began as a family business, with your uncle and your father was involved, and then Delia got involved. Is this the kind of thing that you uh, envisage handing down to your children? Or are you very much of the type of person who believes they need to forge their own path? Because you clearly were very much uh, on your own path from a very young age. Uh, well, I think that the children should do whatever they want to do. And uh, they can only come into the business if they're good enough for, the, for that business. They, the children you know, could have other interests. So... Um, they may not be the best ones for that business, but if they are, then they get a fair chance. So it's not something that could be taken for granted, especially it's not it's not all mine anymore. Right. Uh, I have a I have partners and yeah. we have a board, and it's actually these big decisions are not taken by me on my own. Uh, they're taken by the board. So uh, if um, it's not it's not a hundred percent family family owned, family anymore. owned business yeah. anymore. Even though Jalel and Delia are friends of mine, I discovered new sides to them and understood and appreciate how hard they work to continue to grow and expand their business. Here's wishing them success on what they do next. Thank you for joining me on What I Did Next from ANT Media. I'm Malak Fuad, and this episode was co-produced by Shirag Desai. If you've enjoyed it, please share the show with your friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or IMDB as it helps more people discover the show. You can also connect with us on Instagram. Just search for what I did next. We hope very much to see you again in two weeks' time.